Greetings in the name of Jesus. On the fourth Sunday of July, um, <clears throat> I brought a message entitled, The Potential of the Holy Spirit's Work in Us. And you might remember we looked at uh, various scriptures, uh, but concentrating on scriptures from the Gospel of John. Uh, this morning, I, I still have the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit on my mind, and I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans in chapter 8. Now, probably other, others have, have uh, placed this title uh, here, but you, you, uh, you know, we, 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 uh, we look at, with special interest at Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 because of the, the differences in those chapters and, and the progression that Paul is making. Um, and so someone has called... Um, or some ones have, have called uh, Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. Chapter 6, sanctification and sin, or the believer's death to sin in order to, to, for sanctification to take place. And then chapter 7, sanctification in the law, or the fact that the law cannot deliver us uh, from sin. And then chapter 8, sanctifi sanctification and the Spirit. Sanctification in the Holy Spirit. And so that's a good title for chapter 8, Sanctification in the Spirit. But I'm, uh, I'm doing it this way. You know, like uh, nowadays sometimes we have books that are titled and, and they have just a, a little real short main title, kind of a catchy short title. And to make sure you know what the book is about, then they'll have under that or in a longer title. Or they'll have in parentheses under that, a longer phrase or something to help you understand what this book is really about. So I'm doing it this way this morning, sanctification and the spirit or the potential of the Holy Spirit's work in us, part two. Since I had the potential of the Holy Spirit's work in us earlier, that was part one. Now we're part two, Romans chapter eight. Again, if you haven't looked at Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 kind of together recently, uh, that would be a good homework assignment. <laughs> I would encourage you to do so sometime. Um, but um, I mentioned already about Romans chapter 6 talking about sin, uh, chapter 7 about the law, and now chapter 8 about the Holy Spirit. But it's interesting to notice in chapter 6 where it's talking about uh, sin, it, it mentions the word sin 17 times just in chapter 6. And then in chapter 7 when it's talking about the law, it mentions the word law 23 times. Then we come to chapter 8, sanctification and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is mentioned in chapter 8 19 times. And get this, the Holy Spirit is never mentioned in chapter 6 and 7. And mentioned 19 times in chapter 8. Sanctification and the Spirit, or the potential of the Holy Spirit's work in us, part 2. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. Now, um, in 
some of your Bibles, including mine, you'll have, have chapters sometimes broken up with little headings over certain sections of the chapter. And, and my Bible does that in, in this chapter. And I'm uh, simply uh, pretty much going to break the chapter up into those four groups like my, like my Bible does. So the first group of verses could be subtitled, The Spirit Delivers from the Power of the Flesh. The Spirit delivers us from the power of the flesh. Verses 1 through 13. Let me read. You follow as I read verses 1 through 13 of Romans chapter 8. And, and I must say this yet. You know, of course, man put chapter divisions in the scriptures. And sometimes, uh, sometimes unfortunately, uh, you know, as good as they were trying to break up the scriptures in sections, uh, you know, we're looking at scriptures with different angles and with different glasses and so forth and so forth. But sometimes a chapter division uh, maybe doesn't come at the best place, for certain purposes at least. And um, it's probably good to begin reading chapter 8 by reading several verses before chapter 8, but we won't do that uh, there again. You can do that for your homework if you like. I will begin at verse 1 in chapter 8. <laughs> There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of the life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in, in the flesh. <clears throat> that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded or spirit minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, ye are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Stop reading there for this first section. The spirit delivers from the power of the flesh. Walk not after the flesh. That phrase is 
exactly like that in two verses and in its implication in a third verse. Verse 1, walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, the end of the verse. Verse 4, end of the verse, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Verse 5, the implication is there, not exactly in those exact words. Paul has aptly uh, helped us understand in chapter 6 and 7 the old man that we live in and that we have to put up with um, as we live in this old sinful world. And there's a fight between the flesh and the spirit and so forth, and we don't have time to go into all that. Uh, That's for your homework, as I already suggested. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 8, the Spirit is our companion, someone to walk with. You don't have to walk alone. You're not asked to walk alone. If you walk alone, you will sin. You will try to earn your own salvation through through the law or through a rule or something. But we have the Spirit to walk with. He's he's our companion. He's someone to walk with. Who walk not after the flesh, the end of verse 1, but after the Spirit or walk with the Spirit. That's beautiful. We have the Spirit dwelling in us. We are not walking alone. We are walking with the presence of God in us, if you're a Christian. In verse 2, the Spirit gives life. And that's one of the things that we focused on and ended with four or five weeks ago when we talked about the potential of the Spirit in us and we focused at the end of the message on verses from from the Gospel of John. This thing, the Spirit gives life. And without the Spirit, there's death and deadness in us. But verse 2, the Spirit gives life for the law of the Spirit of life. The Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has the power to make us free From the law of sin and death. In verse 4 again. He is our companion. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. We have the spirit to walk with. He's walking with us. In verse 5. He's someone to follow and obey. Someone to follow and obey. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. You can follow the flesh. And it's so easy to do that. And we, if we are honest, all of us would confess that there's been too many times when we did that. We followed old me. We followed my will. We followed my way. Instead of following the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, verse 5. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. He's someone to follow and obey. If you want peace and joy in your heart. and you want, If you want victory. Verse 6. He gives life and peace. And I remember we, there near the end of the message five weeks ago. In the Gospel of John. It talked about life and life and life. And then there was a verse right after that that talked about peace. And I emphasized that and brought that out. 
And here it is in, in verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually and really interpreted from the original, that would be spirit minded with a capital S. But to be spirit minded is life and peace. And the fact is, when you have real life, when you're after real life, real life in Jesus Christ, then you will have peace. And they go hand in hand. And that was in the Gospel of John, I repeat. In verse 9, the Holy Spirit is someone to be in and someone to be in you. And that's a whole study in itself, this thing of in Christ and in the Spirit. Uh, but um, there's various phrases, in Christ and Christ in you. But look at verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but there it is, but in the Spirit. No, that don't mean you have the right attitude. It's not what it's talking about, the right, you, 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 you got a good feeling or something. I'm in the spirit, I got a good feeling, I'm happy or something. That's not what it's saying. It's spirit, capital S. It means you're living in the spirit, you're abiding in the spirit, you're dwelling in the spirit. The spirit is in you, and it says that. But in the first phrase there in the beginning of the verse, but in the spirit, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, capital S, Continuing, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. The Holy Spirit is someone to be in and someone to be in you. The Holy Spirit in verse 11 raised Jesus from the dead. Now... You know, if that kind of power, if we believe that, that the Holy Spirit is living and abiding in us as Christians, then, then we would have to confess that we, we have no excuse to be defeated and not be normally victorious. Look at verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Wow, just, just the thought of that just, just, just stops you, does it not? It's talking about the power of God that actually took that dead body that, that, that they had put in that, in, in that cave and put this big rock in front of it, that, that, that dead body that was in there, the power, the spirit that, that, that caused Jesus to get up bodily and somehow get out of that tomb with the rock still in place. Now, you talk about power, that's power. But that's what he's referring to. Look at verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by a spirit that dwelleth in you. Now, I, I got to give you this other homework assignment. We don't have time to go into 
the details of it <laughs> this morning. My question to you is this, uh, and if you would want to see what commentaries have to say on it sometime, you can. Here in the end of verse 11, is he talking about our resurrection in the last day from, you know, our, our being our resurrected from our dead bodies out in the grave to, to a, a new body? Is that what he's talking about here? Or is he talking about making us eternally alive right now instead of being dead in sin? And so I'll stop with that and uh, don't let that get in the way of what we have to say here for the rest of the message, but, but think on that and maybe look it up and, and study it sometime. <clears throat> and I realize he could be referring to both there. <clears throat> Continuing on now, <clears throat> um, verse 13, the Holy Spirit provides power to kill misdeeds. I, I use that term misdeeds. What does it use the word here? Uh, deeds. <clears throat> because a couple of other translations said it that way. And uh, it does use the word deeds here. But it's talking about sinful deeds. And so they use the word misdeeds. Verse 13. For if we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if we through the spirit do mortify or put to death or kill the deeds of the body, kill the misdeeds of the body, we shall live. And, and we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit delivers from the power of the flesh. Verses 1 to 13. Let's move on then to verses of. 14 to 17, verses 14 to 17, and we can title this, The Spirit Gives Sonship. Sonship, the Spirit makes you a child of God. Sonship, verses 14 to 17. For as many as are led, that's the first time you use that word, led, the Spirit leading. That's interesting. Led, L-E-D, leading us. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I, I, I must stop and just, I, I've thought about it, but I hesitate to say, because I tell you sometimes to put so many verses on your refrigerator that... that um, and maybe that's good, but maybe you get too many verses on your refrigerator. Well, then I guess take some of the rest of them off and change them around once in a while, you know. But there's just various phrases and verses in this chapter that jump out at me and say, wow, that, that's a hard statement. That's a big statement. That's an interesting statement. That's an important statement. Maybe we should put that on our refrigerator for a couple of weeks to look at and look at and look at and think about. Um, I thought about the end of verse 9. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 
wouldn't that help us at times when we want to be led by our own carnal thinking and our own carnal way and our own selfish will? And then what does that say in light of this? The Bible says in verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. The Spirit gives sonship. Um, So it it used that word right there in, in verse 14. These are the sons of God. Those... that are led by the Spirit of God. Now look at verse 15. What it's saying here is that we are not like a slave to fear our master. And you can understand in certain slaves at least, many slaves probably, if they're a slave, they fear their master. They are punished by their master. If they don't perform like they're supposed to, they're punished by their master, so they fear their master. Look at verse 15. For we have not received the spirit of bondage or like a a slave of slavery, again to fear, No, no, it's not like that. In fact, what we are, we're children, genuine children, not slaves. We need not fear like a slave fears his master. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption. We've been adopted and we are now a genuine child. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father, or Father, Father, or Oh, Father, you're really mine and I'm really yours. Verse 16, the Spirit itself itself, beareth witness with our spirit that we are. The children of God. The Holy Spirit testifies with with our spirit that this is real and that we are a real child. And then we won't take much time with verse 17, but you see what it says. If we're children, then we're heirs. I mean, we have something coming to us. Praise God, we have all heaven and eternity coming to us. If children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God. Heirs of what? Well, heirs of God, that's what. And then 
kind of parallel and lined up together with, with Jesus Christ. Like, like Christ is the Son of God and, and we are sons too. Joint heirs. Parallel heirs, as it were, with Jesus Christ. And then he ends that verse 17, though, with a sobering thought. You see, if you're going to be, a, if you're going to be like Christ... If you're going to get the benefits of Christ, then as Christ suffered, there will be times when we have to suffer also. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Um, all the benefits and the beauty of eternity, as we live on this old earth, it's going to, it's going to mean some suffering like Christ suffered. But, but then he quickly goes on to verse 18. And so then we start this other section of the chapter. The Spirit assures of future glory. The Spirit assures of future glory. Verses 18 to 30. Let me just read those at this time. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature, and by the way, the word creature, if it helps you understand a little better by putting the word creation in there uh, because uh, sometimes it's referring to, to the creation in general uh, or using the word creature, it makes it more, uh, more singular, and, and that's okay. But, but it's talking about, in a general way, the, the creation. It, it may then sometimes include you as people, we as people, and sometimes be referring in a more general way to the creation in general. Verse 21. Because the creature or the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until, until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which had the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. We'll stop there for this section. The Spirit assures of future glory. We don't have time to go into the detail of all these verses in this section, but uh, we'll make some comments. Verse 23, the Spirit gives a foretaste of future glory. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. It simply means the the first gift we were given, you might say. The first gift we received is the Holy Spirit. As a Christian, the first gift we received, spiritual gift, is, is that of the Holy Spirit itself living and abiding in us. The first fruits, and that is the Spirit. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Now, in the verses before that, in this section, he he takes a little time, several verses there, to suggest that there's coming a day when the creation itself will be renewed you might say, like it was in the Garden of Eden before sin. And you can read something about that maybe in in the Revelation. Uh, But we know that the curse that was put upon the earth right there in the beginning of Genesis after man sinned, and God said some things to Adam and Eve about not only them, but also what they would have to put up with in this now fallen creation. And Paul is suggesting here that there will come a day when some of this will be put back as it were, were meant in the beginning. When, when this was a perfect creation and a perfect world before sin. And like the earth is waiting for that change, uh, um, that we too uh, are living in these dying bodies, uh, these bodies that have been affected by sin. And we look forward to something better. We look forward to eternity when, when we will have new bodies and, and, and eternal life uh, outside of this decaying and dead body, as it were. <clears throat> The Spirit, furthermore, in verse 26, uh, helps us in our weakness. I already suggested these old bodies that that are limited, are are dying, are decaying, as it were. And not only that, but our our minds are limited. Um, Thank God for the Spirit, you see. But look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also... Helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So it's like he, he's, he's saying, for example. For example, in the area of prayer. 
we can't do it just right. We don't know how to do it at times. It's difficult to pray exactly as we ought sometimes. And with a, a humble and pure heart and pure motives, the Spirit can help you pray. Verse 26. <clears throat> of course, he goes on those couple of verses talking about using the word hope. Hope. Um, hope to anticipate. Usually, hope to anticipate with pleasure is the way we normally use it. Um, it's expectation, it's confidence, it's faith, it's hope to use the word itself the way we use it. And yet, reading through this, we see somebody that is speaking very confidently. Like they know what they're talking about. In fact, the word know is used a couple of times. And if you're here that third weekend of October, when Brother Elijah Yoder is here, he's going to be speaking from the first epistle of John. You'll hear him say no a few times, I'm sure. Because in the first epistle of John, the word know, K-N-O-W, is used 39 times. And you know how small first John is. No, 39 times. The writer here, in this passage we're looking at, where he uses the word hope, he doesn't use that because he doesn't know. He's using that because he's anticipating. He's looking forward to. The Spirit assures a future glory. Look at verse 29 and 30. And I'm going to say this. I have it written in my Bible from sometime I don't know when and that is right after verse 30 God completes his work God doesn't start something and not finish it God doesn't do something halfway look at verses 29 and 30 for whom he did foreknow it's just simply right there. It, it, it tells us what, what, what the, what's wrapped around these two verses. The fact is that God is all-knowing. And God knows you, and God knows me, and he knows the decisions that you're going to make before you make them. And he knew where we would be today. And he knew what direction you would be going. And he's all-knowing. He knows everything before it happens. With that in mind, the writer writes, beginning in verse 29, For whom God did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. He didn't say, oh, well, I, I, I didn't realize he was going to become a Christian, so I, I, start, I, I need to somehow figure out a way to put the Holy Spirit along beside of him so he'll... He'll make it to heaven or something. No, no, no. That's not God. <laughs> I already said he knew. He knew where you would be. He knew the decision you would make. 
And he pre-planned all of this. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And here, continuing his work, I said, if when God starts something, he, he doesn't stop in the middle of it. He completes his work. So verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Praise God. We can be confident in that. In that. If we have the spirit living in our hearts and lives and allow the spirit to do what it wants to in our hearts and lives, that's us. And we can have that confidence and that assurance and that knowledge. <clears throat> the last verses of the chapter, verses 31 to 39. The spirit assures of final victory. Yes, the spirit assures of final victory. Beginning at verse 31. By the way, the word uh, spirit uh, is not used in these last verses. But I'll uh, point out a word uh, that suggests that the spirit is all in the Apostle Paul when he wrote this. And that's why he said what he said. And he could say it because of the work of the spirit in his life. Uh, I'll point that out after I read the verses. Beginning at verse 31. What shall we say? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Sounds like we're reading in, in Hebrews, does it not, when we read that verse. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or pearl? Or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Praise God. Now, verse 38. The writer said, I am persuaded. He could only say that because of the Holy Spirit having control of his life. 
and him living in the spirit and the spirit living in him. And with that relationship, yes, it's a beautiful relationship. It's a personal relationship. With that relationship, he could say with confidence and with hope, with anticipation and with knowing and with knowledge, I am persuaded. No two ways about it. No doubt about it. I am persuaded that these are the facts. The Spirit assures of final victory. If you're here this morning and you have doubts and you have trouble with this thing of assurance and of assurance of salvation, listen, it's not God's fault. I'm not going to stand here and suggest whose fault it is, but I can say at least that much. It's not God's fault. And if we stay in the word, and if we allow the Holy Spirit to have full control, if we get to the place that we, we confess yeah, there is a fight between the spirit and the flesh, and if we read Romans 6 and 7 and understand what Paul was saying, and then read Romans 8, and realize the power of the Spirit in one's life and the, and the possibilities there, the potential that's there, if we would only let him have full control, then we can say with the Apostle Paul, for I am persuaded, and I know, and I have hope, and that means I have assurance I'm looking forward to with knowledge. And we don't have to keep struggling with quite where we are with God. And with assurance of salvation, if you want to use that term. I am persuaded without a shadow of a doubt. And the fact is, when God starts something, he'll finish it. And he'll do his part to make it right and to make it good and make it complete. And we can be persuaded that we can have final victory. And we can know that because of the Holy Spirit testifying with our spirit and giving us peace and joy inside, knowing that we, we are his and he is ours. Well, these two messages, uh, they're just a little uh, scratching of the surface on, on the Holy Spirit and the possibilities of it in our lives if, if we get rid of self and let, let the spirit have full control may we continually be challenged uh, by the scriptures and by God uh, in that way let's have a closing song <clears throat>